The views and opinions of this program are those of the host guests and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions, bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always great to be with you here once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. We're going to dive into the markets coming up here in segment two and three today. John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing will join us to provide market analysis here on the show as we started off the week fairly decent some buying strength in the soy complex some new contract highs in live cattle we're going to talk about all that coming up also going to look at some news headlines impacting agriculture as well later in the show but kicking things off we got to take a look at the weather for the week ahead eric snodgrass of nutrient joins us and eric always good to catch up with you sir and uh, hope you're doing well i think uh, you and i both recovered after that uh, super bowl game on sunday night I was up early, running around, getting these forecasts done, just like you were up getting the, getting all your shows figured out. So yeah, it was. Uh, it's one of those where I really kind of wish I could take a day off, right? I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna chill out on Monday and work in this industry. <laughs> no, I, I, somebody needs to start the petition to have the uh, day after the Super Bowl off. In, in my opinion, make it a holiday. Why not? <laughs> yeah, right. But no. You know, to your point, the weather doesn't stop, and you're always watching what's going on with the weather. And I know this week ahead going to be a, a fairly active one it's sounding like we got some systems of snow up north we got some severe weather down to the south walk us through what you're seeing for this week ahead yeah you know the next uh the next 10 days we've got three big uh, lows coming off the rocky mountains two of them are going to be what we call colorado lows but the first one's coming out of texas later on today so that system dipping out of texas is going to make things very windy down there but there's gonna be some snow in parts of colorado and um and uh, Kansas coming up behind it. It does have the risk of putting down some snow in the upper Midwest, like the Red River Valley of the North. And all the while, this is all turning through the midsection of the country. The West just stays pretty well tumultuous. I don't know if that's a better way to say it, but the Western United States sees multiple systems diving in. So long story short, whenever the atmosphere sets up with a bunch of cold West and a bunch of warmth East, everything is gonna be active. And that's what we're gonna be seeing. So you're right, the second low, the second one coming out, which comes out later this week, it's got the snow potential from Colorado to Michigan. It's got the severe weather potential for the Mid-South on Wednesday, then from, honestly, the Ohio Valley, Tennessee Valley down to the Southeast on Thursday, got chances for strong to severe storms. And that's the second one. We go into a little lull over the weekend, and then next week we've got another big one, comes right out of Colorado again, dips south, heads straight toward the Great Lakes. And that seems to be the stay of it. So there's good to this, all right? The good is we're putting moisture down on top of an area that we've been talking about as having subsurface soil moisture problems. That's great. 
We're putting moisture down in the plains, areas that desperately need to get it. That's also a good thing. So while it's uncomfortable, it's actually excellent setting us up for what's coming up this spring. And the temperature pattern, I mean, it's gonna, we might have places in Ohio this week that touch mid 60s and then are followed late in the week by highs that are gonna be struggling to get out of the upper 20s. So yeah, it's welcome to late winter, early spring. We live in the mid latitudes and it gets exciting. Well, you mentioned the temperatures and you mentioned as we get into spring as well, and I, we've had a fairly mild winter so far. What is that temperature outlook looking like here as we turn our attention maybe towards March and start looking at spring? And then what's that precipitation outlook looking like as well as we get into spring? Yeah, well, right now there's a bit of a, a competition between two big features happening across North America. There's a big ridge over the southeast. That's what's kept the east so warm this winter. And then there's been uh, this shift coming out of Siberia and across the Arctic to set up some cold air that's going to invade Canada. And it'll get all the way into the northern plains. It'll get all the way into the, the, the western United States over the next 10 to 15 days. But the question is, who's going to win the battle for the midsection of the country, for the south, for the mid-south, uh, you know, our, where we live, you know? And I think it's going to be this kind of jockeying for position, which is why when we look out there to the end of this month and start of, of March, we think we'll be tucked away in that. So any farther north you go, you're going to see some really cold temperatures. And if you stay south, you're going to be like, well, where, where's winter? It's just been spring forever. And that's going to be, I think, the, the case going forward. Uh, but again, that contrast sets us up for good March, good February, again, into March precipitation. And I like it. We've got to get rid of these major underlying drought issues to have some success in 2023. So volatile late winter and, sp and early springs tend to give us you know, we think we're thankful for it once it gets into July. So I think that's going to be the top thing I'm watching out for. So don't don't get settled on any one way that the atmosphere is going to behave because it'll change tomorrow. Guaranteed. Well, thinking about this as well, how does La Nina play into this whole picture? I know we've been talking maybe La Nina diminishing, going away, maybe switching to an El Nino pattern. What's the latest there? Yeah, so La Nina right now, we, we could almost make an argument that it it's the behavior of it's out. I mean, it's just not even there in the trade winds anymore. And that's where it all starts. So if that piece of this is out, then what that means is other subseasonal things take over. What I'm most interested in is if the MJO is going to dominate. So if the MJO moves out of the Pacific, okay, what that typically means is very active U.S. weather. That, that's the easiest way to put it. Uh, La Nina, all the long-range forecasts suggest we'll be in so neutral from now all the way to the start of summer. And then we'll be talking mid to late summer about the potential transition to El Nino. And then and in the fall and winter, it looks as though we're going to have possibly have a, a full El Nino going. So what does that mean? That means that next winter, and it's crazy to think out that far, but next winter has a better chance of being more mild and very wet across the whole country. So next winter could be a real drought, long-term drought busting kind of winter if everything I just told you plays out. In the meantime, we have a growing season. Don't forget, I just skipped over seven months, which is <laughs> most important for you and I. And I like the transition overall. It's a good signal to just eliminate one of the major drought factors in the United States, getting rid of that La Nina. Eric, catch us up at South America. I know very hot temperatures in Argentina and dry last week. What's yeah. the latest in Argentina and in Brazil as well? Well, Argentina is going to stay drier than normal. Um, some of the rains that were predicted to happen this weekend and then early this week are showing up a little bit less than I think what we anticipated for certain growing areas. But the, the heat is gone after today. So there's going to be some much cooler air coming in there. Brazil has got an interesting problem right now. Uh, harvest, you've seen the latest harvest, harvest numbers out of Mato Grosso. So they, they caught up a little bit back up to the five-year average. But south of there, central Brazil 
has been extremely wet. I called a friend of mine that works down there for us at Nutrium. His name is Erico. So it's kind of fun. We almost share the same name. And I said, hey, just tell me what are things like? He's in Goyas. He goes, it's the wettest I can remember. And he says, right now the crop's full, so we're taking it. It's okay. But he goes, if this doesn't stop, when we start to harvest, we got to get this crop out of here. Less than ideal harvest conditions. So possibly big yields with um, maybe some quality issues. That's going to be something to think about there because the next 15 days look very wet for central Brazil. So uh, it's it's a bit complicated in South America as well, but overall we have to say much of Brazil had the water needed to make a massive crop while Argentina kind of paid the price for that. Eric, real quick, before we run out of time, anything else you're watching around the world here when it comes to weather this week? Yeah, I like to watch what happens in Australia. I, we have business down there, so I look at it quite a bit, and there's a big tropical cyclone going toward New Zealand. Okay, so this, of course, would be east, east of Australia. And remember, New Zealand was hammered about, uh, what was that, 15, 20 days ago with record flooding. And so they're about to get hit again really hard here. So what do we think about there? That's There's a lot of cattle, a lot of dairy in, in New Zealand. And uh, so this could be quite, quite impactful for that industry. Well, you can sign up for Eric's daily weather newsletter on our website, markettalkag.com. With that, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrient, thanks for joining us. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. You too. Up next, Markets with John Heinberg. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as the dust settled on Monday's grain and oilseed trade and livestock trade, mostly positive day, but some underlying potential issues could be there that we need to keep our eyes on. And as we take a look at the market trade after Monday's session, we welcome in our good friend John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing joining us. John, good to catch up with you, sir. Hope you had a good weekend and uh, enjoyed some of the football festivities and, and whatnot over the weekend, John. Yeah, I got to see at least the second half of the game again. Just uh, congratulations to those Chief fans out there. Uh, they've got a good one there, Mr. Mahomes, and uh, definitely made the game very interesting. It was a good ball game between the two clubs, at least the parts I saw. I always like it when the game is actually good, you know, and honestly, it made up for some of the commercials. I don't think were that great this year. So, you know, anyway, I digress. Still a, a fun Sunday to uh, watch a little bit of football and then come back, back in here Monday and most people probably call for a national holiday on the Monday after the Super Bowl. We don't got that. We have markets open. And, uh, you know, we started off a little bit weaker, but generally all said and done, positive day, although I know we did come off some session highs across the grains. John, what stood out to you, biggest maybe storyline or two on Monday's grain trade? Well, let's just go right to the soybean market because that's the one that seems to have the most storylines in it. We had a very good overnight session and we kind of faded back to negative territory, did climb back, at least got some positive gains at the end of the day, but still well off those highs. And, you know, biggest thing I'm watching right now, too, is what's going on with the export window. We had export inspections today, 1.55 million metric tons. That was a solid number, but it was our five-week low. And you go look at the historical charts in terms of export inspections. We drop off pretty quickly from now until the end of May. You know, so we're, we're watching our export window possibly close. 
in this time frame with those fresh South American supplies starting to come online. You know, obviously the Brazilian beans are going to outweigh the losses in Argentina. You know, so that's a little concerning. The other thing I'm kind of watching within the trade is what's going on with the bull spreads, the old crop versus the new crop spreads, despite the strength in the market in general today. Those all gave back money today, taking a little bit of that premium out of the market. That's a sign, too, that maybe demand is starting to wind down a little bit here. So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on. A lot of those spread charts, they got some topping action in them. They tried to break out a little bit today, failed on those, put another reversal in. So it might be a window here where we watch those spreads tighten up a little bit. Because you know, obviously our beaten supplies are tight. We need acres that's going to support that new crop supply. But then at the front end, we got these heavy this heavy harvest coming in from Brazil, which is still well behind. I saw numbers today, 17% complete versus about 24% average. But those beans are starting to move, and that's the biggest thing. And that's just going to you know make it hard for prices to really maintain some rallies here unless we get some positive news on the demand front that we haven't seen for a while. The last old crop bean sale was the 25th of January that was reported, you know, so there's still some things that we got to get done in that bean market here, but a little concerned watching those spreads today. Yeah, I was noticing that spread activity as well. I know bean meal, I believe we went up and got another contract high before we backed off at March beans as well, rallied to the highest level since I think what, mid-June and the highest level for a lead contract since mid-September. Uh, but still to your point, I'm also a little concerned there, just watching everything, South American crop coming online. I'll be watching, too, to see how much logistically Brazil could move maybe south to Argentina on the Paraná River to help with crushing down there with the lack of beans in Argentina. But that feels like maybe a bit of a secondary story to uh, the things you mentioned, John. You know, and I'm saying we're going to fall out of bed here anytime soon. I mean, our demand is still good on the domestic front and, you know, our supplies are still tight, but might be just in a window where it might be the spreads that do a little bit of the work here. You know, we said today we're two higher on the old crop, six higher on the new, you know, so we still saw some value come into the market, you know, so, but it might be just one of those windows. Like I said, we might continue to see that premium between the old and new tighten up a little here. Now, if we do get some negative news, we get, you know, cancellations of sales to China or something along those lines, which, you know, this market would react pretty aggressively. And we still got a pretty big premium over those South American beans. But it sounds like, at least through some of the sources I look at, that the premium, the, the basis levels or the premium levels down in Brazil are coming down with the new supplies coming on board. You know, it's real hard to maintain a rally when the, your number one competitor's prices are going lower. Mm -hmm. Very true. Let's move over to the wheat markets. Um, fairly solid day there. We came off the overnight lows and backed off the highs a little bit. I know we got more increased heavy fighting Russia, Ukraine. That's uh, an issue that seems to be coming back more onto traders' minds. Maybe we're building in a little bit of a premium there. Throw on top of that all these spy balloons and unidentified objects being shot down. That's adding to tensions with the U.S. and China. And I feel like wheat markets, especially, maybe not you know, not so much U.S. China as a player there, but wheat markets seem to be affected the most, I think, by global events and global tensions. Would you agree with that, John? I agree totally. I mean, it is a more of a global crop that, in terms of somebody make somebody out there is producing or harvesting wheat on a daily basis in different mm -hmm. regions. You know, realistically, this morning, you know, with the wheat futures being down, we had nothing but kind of negative news in front of the market. 
you know, first off, we're picking up moisture across the U.S. You look at the six, 10 day forecast, above average precip, pretty much the entire country. You know, so that should help out the winter wheat crop a little bit here in this window. And not probably everybody, but some will get some boost out of that. You know, then on top of that, talk Brazil's got a record crop for wheat coming into harvest fairly soon. You got our, just, our, excuse me, Australia with a record crop for wheat coming up to harvest. You know, that's just going to put pressure on global prices as those supplies continue to increase. You know, so that was kind of the news that started the day. But then you're, we're looking at the technical side here. We had a nice move on Friday, fought through those lows today, got some more money flow today to move us a little bit higher as well. You know, one thing that's kind of interesting right now, and, and we're missing those commitment of trader reports. We didn't get last Friday's and the Friday prior due to that ransomware attack on, on the firm that puts the numbers together. We still don't have any clarity when we're going to get those numbers but right now, the you know the funds were short the wheat market, and they could be easily moving out of those shorts. And we really don't know other than just what the get, you know, the best educated guesses are mm -hmm. in that regard. So that money flow thing, I think, is a big part of this. Then we can move the wheat market up. We got some resistance around that hundred-day moving average around eight ten. That's on that March contract for Chicago, and you know that might be an area that we go challenge here. And you know there's a trend line running through there, so it just feels like we'll see what happens when we get to that point based on just some short covering and some money flow that I think spilled over and helped out the corn market today as well. With those CFTC reports, real quick, should we be prepared for volatility one way or another, depending on when we get those reports back and what they show us, John? You know, it's hard to gauge. You know, I, Again, obviously, where the money has been moving, the way the prices are moving, we would assume that they've been getting longer in the corn market, they're mm -hmm. getting longer in the wheat market, you know, tightening that up a little bit, maybe losing a little bit of their strength in that soybean market with the exception of just the last couple of days here. So it's hard to gauge. Now, if we come back and we get a big surprise and they really moved out of something, you know, that could cause a bit of a trigger. You know, but those reports are key and, they, you know, they're going to be key going into some of the livestock sectors, which we'll talk about in a moment, too, in terms of just where that money flow is in some of these markets. You mentioned corn. I want to touch on corn as well here real quick, uh, a little bit more. I would agree with you. It felt like corn was kind of just a follower on the day Monday. Not a lot of fresh news there. Still staying fairly choppy, fairly range bound here that March contract up near the uh, areas of resistance at 685 690 mark john yeah we had a nice little follow through though in that market today we had a really good day on friday big outside day turning finishing on the top end of the range so a little bit more buying came in and kind of pushed it through the next level you know maybe we got some more resistance a little bit above here now we are hitting the demand window where corn is picking up here in terms of the export sales as well as the export inspections. Now the inspection numbers today were just kind of so-so. They were middle of the pack, you know, and we're still lacking where we need to be. So that's the concerning point. And none of those bushels went to China. So that's another thing the market probably didn't like, you know, but we're still watching that this being a window where we can see that kind of grow here. And then we, we need to, otherwise we're gonna go into that March report probably a little more cautious than bullish just because we think the USDA can make that export demand you know, adjustment that, you know, everybody's kind of waiting for to show up if we don't see these export sales and shipments pick up in the next few weeks. Well, again, we're having a conversation with John Heimberg of Total Farm Marketing. We'll get back to that conversation here in just a minute. Some of the closing numbers for Monday in the grain trade. March quart up four and a half, 685. July quart up two at three quarters, 669 at a quarter. March beans up a quarter penny, 1542 at three quarters. July three higher, 1525 and a half. And new crop November soybeans, we saw those. They were up six at 1384 and three quarters. Soybean meal for March at 460 a 
ton at 504. July bean meal up 450 a ton, 474.60. March bean oil down 40.6014. July down 42.6017. March Chicago wheat six higher, 792. May up five at eight and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up three and a half, 802 and a half. March Kansas City wheat up three and a quarter, 912 and a quarter. May up three and a half at nine and a quarter. July KC wheat three higher at 885 and a quarter. Spring wheat March up a half penny, 930 at three quarters. May up a quarter penny, 923 and a quarter. And July unchanged at 917 and a quarter. We'll be back with more with John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing right after this here on Market Talk. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We're talking markets today here on Market Talk with John Heimberg of Total Farm Marketing. John, let's move over to the livestock trade. Fairly robust day, cattle and hogs. I know in the case of hogs, I'll start there. That front month February contract goes off the board Tuesday, hanging pretty close to the cash index, but really saw a good strength in the deferred, triple-digit strength to the upside. And that April contract is, what, about $12 over the cash index right now? Um, that's going to be, uh, for me, that's going to be interesting to watch how that works together when uh, we see February go off the board. Agreed. You know, I, I, I'm kind of watching that as well. It was a really nice move today. Now, there's another one of the markets the funds are actually pushing to a short position a couple of weeks ago in hogs and don't maintain those very long in the livestock sector on a typically basis, you know, but sometimes they'll hold them if they need to. So I'm kind of watching with that when we do get that report, what's happening to the money flow there. Uh, you know, we've had some very volatile days last week and, and, you know, finally put a little bit of a turn in on the end of the week, took out last week's highs today. I thought that was very, very key in terms of the technical picture. So we'll see. We got some pretty good resistance around this 87 area. We struggled there a couple of weeks ago. So we'll have to see if we can kind of hold through this. But the only two things I am seeing that's encouraging. First off, the cash index has been trending higher basically since mid-January. It's not an aggressive move, but it's going higher. So maybe we've got our cash bottom in. Even looking at the direct trade, direct trade's been slowly ticking higher here as well. Finally got it in line with whatever the February contract is. Again, that premium of April over top does have me a little bit nervous here, so we'll have to watch how the market handles that. As long as we continue to see some movement, I think, in the vertical side on that cash market, you know, that might still allow that April contract to maybe move out and really hit some good resistance on top. It might be kind of a limiting space unless the cash market really can kick in. And we did have a few other things out there today, too. I've, we're seeing some movement in Chinese hog prices to the upside, so that might brought some spillover strength into the hog market today. There was a whisper article out there on the social media of, of some African swine fever showing up in Hong Kong, you know, in that region, which is just off the Chinese border. So maybe with the market being as short as it was, we threw a little risk premium in today just in case something comes out of that. I don't expect that to be anything at this time frame, but at least enough 
You know, like we get a random mad cow disease case somewhere mm -hmm, here and there. Mm -hmm. The disease is here. It's never going to go away. It's going to be out there somewhere. And it's just a matter of if it flares up and becomes an issue. Yeah, that Hong Kong, I saw that storyline as well. Um, I, something to monitor, I think, but doesn't feel like it's going to be a big hog market mover here anytime soon. Uh, cattle trade, looking at last week's negotiated cash trade, a little over 108,000 heads. Sounds like about 75% of that was nearby delivery. The remaining was committed for deferred. Uh, we saw a cash trade. You know, the north was $4 higher last week. I get the sense we're not going to jump that high this week, but I have to think we're at least going to be steady as we continue to watch uh, how this cash cattle market is uh, continuing to kind of trade the last couple of weeks here, John. I think that's going to be the driver in the cattle market overall. It's going to be the cash trade. And, you know, just talking to a couple of producers today, they were getting phone calls on Friday from multiple packers kind of looking to find some cattle. So there's some concern out there from their side that the supply sides are tightening up here. You know, so there's a little bit of an extra push, I think, especially to a little talk of a, well, I know we're forecasting for a storm later in the week coming through the Southern Plains, swinging through our area. We'll have to watch that. So maybe there's a little urgency to get some cattle locked in and moving you know, before that comes through. So we'll have to really kind of keep a focus on the weather, uh, especially mm -hmm. this time of year. But again, right now, the other side I liked is two choice carcasses. We're about $4.50 higher on the week last week. So we're seeing a little premium, maybe move back into that choice beef. That gives the Packers a little bit more meat on the bone to bid up for a tighter supply. You know, that's still going to be, I think, as I said, the driver in the market will be the cash market. If we continue to see some uptrend, there's going to be room for the futures market to keep moving. Now, keep a close eye on historical windows here. Now, we're usually around the Valentine's Day area. Actually, about the 15th of February, we typically peak out the April contract and sit for a winter high. Again, that's on the historical seasonal window. You know, obviously, the cash market can trump that and push things higher. But again, it's just a spot in here. If the funds are a little bit long, which we really don't know, but I have a feeling they've got some pretty good length in this market, that maybe they start peeling back some positions. Still not calling for a washout by any stretch of the imagination because if as soon as the prices get cheap, I think it's an opportunity for people to step in and be an owner in a market that's got a really tight supply well into next year. And I know we saw some contract new contract highs made in live cattle on Monday, but then to your point, I feel like I'm with you. It just feels like cash is going to have to be the driver here, the futures trade for at least the next couple of weeks ahead as we really work through things. And you know, we've talked about it. A lot of people are bullish this cattle market. It's it feels like it's going to take more. It's going to take a plenty of combined events if we were to see a big bullish breakout. Otherwise, it just feels like we're slowly churning higher here in this cattle trade. Yeah, and you go look at those deferred charts. It's exactly what we got, with the exception of you know this little last pop here after the inventory report. We've been basically on a forty-five degree angle since the lows in June. You know, looking at that April chart grinding higher, you know, so even if we did get some pullback in here, it's probably just going to go back to the trend line underneath this market and continue to climb at least as long as the fundamentals are still there. Obviously, what's the biggest thing? We do have CPI data, inflation data coming out tomorrow, so that could be a bit of a mover. I know the stock market reacted in on the other side of the coin today in terms of preparation for that report. But if those numbers come in heavy and the Fed needs to, again, get after those interest rates or the fear of recession chatter talks up again, that first the first impact that's going to come into that cattle market will be that concern regarding the consumer and the consumer dollar. And as beef prices continue to climb versus cheaper pork and chicken, you know, the beef market could get a little bit of a you know wet blanket put over top just because of that consumer demand concerns. 
Now, I'm glad you brought up the inflation data. Do you feel like some of our commodity trade money flow we saw on Monday where we may be putting in a little risk premium ahead of that CPI data, John? I think that's a distinct possibility in that regard. There's still a lot of chatter that inflation could kick back up as we get into the year, just on improved demand overall and just a lack of supplies that are out there. We've got the China reopening story is going to be closely watched in this window here as well. You know, obviously, if they're stepping in the market again, getting back to where they need to be in terms of being a consumer of the commodity space, that's just going to add some premium into the commodity markets in general. You know, as much as we've been kind of negative on things overall in terms of competition and supply and lack of demand, that can change pretty quickly if all of a sudden, you know, the Chinese were to step in looking for products uh, that they've been kind of avoiding over the last year or so because of the COVID situations. You know, that can be the driver in this market. You know, you go look at the grain markets in general. We've thrown a lot of negative news at the corn market here. We're still trading 670, 680. You know, so that kind of makes you wonder where things can go if we do get some positive breakout type news, you know, in that market in general. You know, the Ukraine bushels, again, talking big picture here, are not coming back to capacity. So that's going to keep global supplies tight. You throw a weather event in here somewhere between us or, or, or South America in the next few in the next few months. And you got an issue that, again, where we can see prices be very, very volatile just because of where things are. John, how about that dairy trade? Anything you're watching, milk, butter, cheese here this week? Yeah, obviously the cheese market's a big key. It looks like maybe we found a bit of a bottom in that market, which has also kind of put a little bit of a bottom in the milk market here. We got a, you know, a bit of a turn off that low in the March contract, holding about that 1740 area, a bit of a what we call a double bottom on the chart there. We'll have to see if that can dig in. I mean, it's been a slippery slope market pretty much all the way back to those highs and kind of, kind of depressing to kind of see, but you want to see a classic downtrending market, look at what the milk charts look like. And the cheese market's been the driver. Is it just a struggle with the demand side, things of that nature? Now we got through the Super Bowls, one of the biggest pizza weekends of the year. So maybe that's going to help fire up the cheese trade a little bit as we got some supplies to replenish. We'll see. But realistically, till those product markets kind of kick back in again, and that milk market just looks a little bit cautious right now. But at least technically, we found maybe a little bit of a bottom here on that March contract. Well, I had chili and chicken wings for the Super Bowl, but I know a lot of people who had pizza, so we'll have to see if that helped out the cheese demand. John, before we wrap it up here today, any final thoughts, any risk management thoughts, uh, anything else you want to share with us here today? Yeah, I know hopefully you threw a little cheese in that chili because that's usually what I, I do. do. But I do. From <laughs> that standpoint, you know, getting back to your question, you know, again, great value out there. Still stay active. You know, again, I, I just gave a little bit of a bullish scenario, but at the same time, understand what the value is out there. Puts are cheap when it comes to the amount of damage that can be done if something falls apart and you have nothing in place. You know, or if you do those sales and you want to protect yourself, don't forget about that upside possibility. You know, sell the value, own the possibility is basically the way we look at it and have some call strategies over top. Because again, a lot of things going on in this world that could trigger headline trade very, very quickly. We still overall have a thinly traded market. And that's some of the reason we have the volatility that's in there. If there's some reason that the market is triggered, whether it's the buy into corn, buy into beans, buy into cattle or hogs, you know, we're going to see a strong price move just because, again, because of the lack of players that are still out there. You know, so but at the same time, across the board, we're looking at historical value with the exception of maybe the hog and the wheat markets. Uh, just make sure you're protecting yourself here so you don't wake up one of these days that the black swan event occurs. You're wondering where the prices went. John, if folks want to reach out to you for some market advice there at Total Farm Marketing, how can they get a hold of you? 
Sure, love chat with them anytime. Give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email, John H at totalfarmmarketing.com. Again, don't forget about that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. A lot of great information for producers out there. You know, I just love talking markets with people. Feel free to pick up the phone, no obligation, just a call and ask a question or two and see what services we could offer you. John, always a pleasure. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Have a good week. And always appreciate his time. John Heimberg with Total Farm Marketing. A few closes in the livestock trade from Monday's session. We saw a good day there. February live cattle up 107, 162.27. April lives up 115, 165.10. June live cattle up 67, 160.42. March feeder cattle up 80, 187.20. April up 92, 191.60. And at hogs, February down 5, 75.82. April though, 302 higher, 86.35. June hogs up 260, 104.25. We'll take a look at news headlines on the way next as we wrap up market talk on the way right after the break stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com now back to market talk with jesse allen And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today as we take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture before we wrap up the show. The U.S. dairy industry coming off a pretty good year 2022. Leonard Polzin is extension dairy markets and policy outreach specialist with the University of Wisconsin. He says 2022 was solid. We had some good margins across the board. There's one or two months there where it might have been a little tighter, but all in all, I'd say as far as profitability goes on farm, definitely a good year. Looking forward, I would say, especially on the on the farm producer level, I wouldn't hold my breath for the same sort of year. So part of that is because it's always good to be a little proactive, making sure you're taking advantage of some of those risk management opportunities that are out there. Some factors kept a lid on prices, though, last year. A couple things that kept milk price down last Last year was feed costs, the cost of expansion. Cow numbers did come up off of their bottom, off of their low, but we really saw that leveling out. So as we saw this leveling out, that really kept production from increasing on a year-over-year basis. So we did come in almost flat to just a hair above the year previously as far as U.S. production goes. But the reason for that is increased efficiency in the national herd. Looking ahead to the rest of 2023, there may be some downward pressure on dairy prices, especially in the overseas markets. So as we go forward, if these profit margins continue to hold and expansion happens within the national herd, then it's not unlikely to see some downward pressure on those margins. So another thing to think about is not only cow numbers, but what's happening in the international market. We've been fortunate this last year, while our products in the international market have been priced a bit higher, we're still seeing good net revenues from our exports. But as we go forward, when other countries have maybe a little bit additional output capacity in the coming year. And as world markets have had a little more product in them, it's not unreasonable to see our prices come down in order to stay competitive there. That's Leonard Polzin with the University of Wisconsin Extension Service. Well, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago released its quarterly ag letter showing that the district saw a strong annual increase of 12% in farmland values during 2022. The Fed says although the result may seem like a letdown after the even larger increase in 2021, last year's annual gain was the second largest in the past 10 years. During the final quarter of 2022, 
Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, and Wisconsin still had double-digit year-over-year increases in their agricultural land values. But Indiana was the only district state to have an increase larger than the fourth quarter of 2021. Stronger agricultural credit conditions for the district also contributed to farmers' optimism. The share of the district's farm loan portfolio assessed as having major or severe repayment problems was 1.2% in the fourth quarter of last year, lower than the share reported in any final quarter since data collection began in 1998. Well, Senators Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota and Chuck Grassley of Iowa sent a letter to President Biden urging him to use an upcoming meeting with Brazil's president to discuss the country's tax on U.S. ethanol imports. The letter comes after Brazil's foreign trade chamber reinstated an import tariff on American ethanol shipped to Brazil. The new 16% tariff rate, which will increase to 18% next year, is a sharp departure from the 0% tariff rate previously shared between the two nations. The senator said in the letter, quote, Our American ethanol industry should not be subject to prohibitive tariff and non-tariff barriers while Brazilian ethanol producers enjoy duty-free access to our market and biodiesel programs. We believe this imbalance in tariffs and access to Brazil's biofuels program is unwarranted and unfair, and we urge you to discuss this issue with the president directly, end quote. Eight other senators signed on to the letter. Well, Doug McCaleb, the new agriculture trade boss in the U.S. Trade Representative's office, says he's given Mexico until February 14th to explain the science behind the country's planned ban on GMO corn imports. Market Screener says the response will help the agency decide the next steps to resolve the long-running disagreement over Mexico's biotechnology policies when it comes to agriculture. The next steps could include escalating the dispute settlement process under the USMCA. If it continues, the dispute threatens to disrupt the billions of dollars worth of corn trade between the United States and Mexico. McCaleb says Mexico rejected 14 agricultural product traits that were submitted to them and they didn't provide any justification. He says, quote, we want to make sure that they do the science, show their work, and make decisions based upon risk assessments, end quote. U.S. officials recently warned Mexican officials that America may take formal steps under USMCA. Well, University of Minnesota researchers are at the forefront of successful efforts to work on the African swine fever virus. They're developing and validating a surrogate virus for ASF that will help develop effective mitigation strategies to control the virus and keep it from entering North America. African swine fever has devastated pig populations and pork production in countries around the world. The lab is one of only a handful of facilities in the U.S. to have access to the highly contagious ASF virus, and its work represents a major breakthrough in research efforts. In addition, to working directly on the African swine fever virus. A surrogate virus is strikingly similar to ASF in terms of its structure and stability. It can be safely used in field studies to help scientists understand more about how the virus is transmitted in real-world conditions and what strategies are effective to prevent its spread. And also, delinking conservation requirements and safety net payments is getting attention again as congressional lawmakers start writing the next farm bill. Senate Ag member Mike Braun of Indiana says conditions are tough enough today not to have more limits on farming. I've never seen a business where when revenues go up, it's just mysteriously inputs seem to go right up with them. All the more reason, Braun argues, farmers don't want climate and conservation practices required to get farm payments. They want to make sure that they're never going to have the safety net program that they depend on, which is a small part of the money that we spend on the farm bill, tied directly to having to be forced into conservation practices, which they do 
voluntarily. USDA Farm Production and Conservation Undersecretary Robert Bonney responded at a recent Senate Farm Bill hearing. Our approach to climate and, and conservation more broadly is going to be voluntary, incentive-based, collaborative. We look for opportunities to work with producers. That's going to cut across everything we do. We think if it doesn't work for agriculture and forestry, it's not going to work for the environment. But Bonnie quickly added. We obviously have compliance and crop insurance and FSA programs. We think that's, that's a good approach. But beyond that, the, our approach on these issues is going to be one that's about voluntary stewardship. Conservation plans have been required for highly erodible soil along with a ban on planting converted wetlands while efforts to force enrollment in conservation programs to receive farm payments has not been successful. That's going to do it for Market Talk today. Have a great rest of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.